Well, good morning to you all. Uh, thank you for joining us. Welcome to everyone. Uh, if you don't, if we haven't met, my name is Kyle, and I get to serve here as the the worship director. Uh, next week, Kondo will be kicking off a new sermon series for us. Stay tuned for more, a few more details about that. But for this morning, we're going to be wrapping up our summer psalms series. But hear me say this, that does not mean summer is wrapping up. I refuse to believe that. I'm in denial. Yesterday, my wife, Emily, brought home that sheet from the store that has the like, things your kid needs to bring to school. And I was like, no, 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 no. Summer is going way too fast. So uh, apologies if that was a rude awakening to any of you that school is just around the corner. But this morning, Psalms. Uh, the book of Psalms is... 150 different worship songs. That's what's in the book of Psalms. And one of the great things about this book is how brutally honest it is about the breadth of our emotions. There are no fake happy faces in this book. The writers of these songs tell you how they're feeling. And they may not always come right out and say, like, I'm feeling sad or I'm feeling mad. But as you read these songs from the Old Testament, you can tell what they were feeling a lot of the times. And just like us, their emotions are all over the map. There are a bunch of psalms. You can tell the writer is riding high. They're feeling great. You can feel their smile in these songs as they're overflowing with joy and celebration. But then there are other psalms that come from a dark place. And they're written out of deep disappointment, despair, and depression. And there are others where the writer, they recognize their own sin and and their own mistakes and the ways that they've just totally messed up. And and they write full of regret and remorse and repentance. But then there are others where the writer is full of awe and amazement and wonder. You name the feeling, anger, elation, shame, loneliness, gratitude, doubt, love, fear, delight, confusion, weariness. They're all in here, and none of these emotions are off limits from expressing to God. God knows how we feel. None of these emotions are off limits to express to Him. So the Psalms not only express all of these different emotions, but they help us answer some important questions. Like, what does worship look like when I'm feeling all sorts of different ways? How can, how can I be honest about how I'm feeling, about, about my emotions, and still honor God? What does it look like for me to trust God when I'm feeling all of these different feelings? Well, today we're going to be looking at Psalm 103. And when David wrote the psalm, he seems to be feeling a way that we don't actually talk about too much. And he doesn't come right out and say it, but it seems like David writes Psalm 103 while feeling meh. Psalm 103 is for the times when I'm feeling apathetic and disinterested. It's a psalm for when I just want to go through the motions. It's a psalm for when we're feeling meh about God. And you know, I can really relate to David in this feeling. I don't know what your relationship with your alarm clock is, but mine with my alarm clock is a little bit tense. We don't really get along too well. I find it too naggy. And, you know, on Sunday mornings, when that alarm goes off, 
with that really annoying, cheerful tone. Believe it or not, my first thought has never been, I can't wait to go to church and sing to Jesus. That is not what I'm feeling on Sunday morning when I'm so rudely awakened by this whistling jingle. My first thought is usually something more like, it can't be that time already. Oh, it is. You know, if I just eat Pop-Tarts in the car, I can hit snooze. How, how long is it till I can get a nap this afternoon? How many hours? And then I drag myself out of bed. I'm getting ready, but I'm just slogging through. I'm sleepy, and I keep wishing that I could lay my head down back on that pillow. I fill two travel mugs full of coffee. Yes, two, don't judge. And I drive in to get my morning started. But believe me, in all of that process, as I'm getting around on Sunday mornings, my enthusiasm level for worshiping God is usually about zero. I understand where David is at here. I'm guessing you can relate too. You know, Sunday mornings roll around and, and, and you're coming off all sorts of different kinds of weeks. You know, maybe you've had a really long and frustrating week. Like nothing seems to be going right. Everything seems to be breaking and you just feel stressed and worn out. Or maybe it's just been a incredibly crazy busy week. And if you're honest with yourself in all the running from one thing to the next, you haven't given God a second thought in days. And so you come in on Sunday and, and you try to shift gears of worship and it just, it's not there. Or maybe you've messed up for what feels like the millionth time in that same way. And so you walked in feeling shame and guilt, more like you want to hide from God than praise him. Or maybe it's one of a thousand other different things, but whatever the reason, you just feel meh. When it comes to worshiping God right now, you feel indifferent. So let's dive into Psalm 103 here and see how David responds when he's feeling apathetic towards God. Psalm 103, verse 1. Praise the Lord, O my soul, all that is within me. Praise his holy name. David here is giving us a peek inside his head. We can eavesdrop on David talking to himself. We hear him here now in a moment where he doesn't seem to really feel like praising God. So he's literally commanding himself to praise the Lord, O my soul. And David doesn't stop there. He's not just encouraging himself to worship God, but to praise God with everything he's got. To praise God with all that is in him. Because when it comes to praising God, David isn't content to simply go through the motions. He's not content to just say the right things or do the right things. And how he worshiped God, David wanted to fulfill what Jesus would later call the greatest commandment in Luke chapter 10, where he said, love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind and with all your strength, all your heart, all your soul, mind and strength. Or as David says here, all that is within me. 
And this isn't the only place David talked about the importance of worshiping God from his heart, from, from a place of, of authenticity. And not just doing the worship things. You see, David also wrote Psalm 40 and Psalm 51. And in both of those, he essentially said that God isn't interested in religious sacrifices. He's not interested in our religious actions if our hearts aren't in the right place. And so we find David here in Psalm 103 prioritizing, praising God in a way that his mind and his heart, his soul, his emotions are engaged. So how does David respond then when he feels indifferent and apathetic about praising God? You know, there are are a lot of things he could have tried, depending on what he thought the cause of his apathy was. David could have tried to pump himself up. You know, this might have been his response if he thought he just wasn't trying hard enough. You know, the Olympics just started a couple days ago. I love watching the Olympics. But if you watch any of it this week... Pay close attention to someone that like right before they try to lift 350 pounds over their head or, or right before they try to throw a stick 100 yards or some of those other really weird things when you think about what they're actually trying to do. Watch them and, and watch their lips and often you'll see them, you'll see them moving. No one's around them. Just, you see their lips moving. You see them trying to pump themselves up. You see them saying like, all right, you got this, you got this, you've put in the work, you've done this, you've done this before, you've made this list before, here you go, focus, you can do this, dig deep, this is what it's all for, let's go for it. But that's not at all how David handles his apathy here. There's no, like, you can do this, you've, you've, you've done this before, you've praised God before, you've felt this before, dig deep, focus, praise God, come on, you can do this, praise God. David's approach isn't just try harder. Another thing that David could have tried to remedy his apathy was to beat himself down. And that may sound counterintuitive, but when you think about it, it also sounds sometimes a little too familiar for comfort. Like this might have been David's approach if he thought that the cause of his apathy was that he didn't love God enough. That his faith wasn't strong enough. Or, or how we might say that I'm not a good enough Christian. But David doesn't do that either. He doesn't try to shame or guilt himself into praising God. This inner dialogue that David has, he's not saying like, what's wrong with you? Get it together. You call yourself a follower. You say that you love him and you can't bring yourself to praise him. God must be so disappointed in you. No, David doesn't beat himself down either. David also could have given himself a pass. If he didn't think praising God was that big of a deal, he could have just shrugged it off. And even he could have tried to spiritualize it by saying something like, well, you know, God doesn't want us to praise him if our heart's not in it. And my heart's not in it, so I'm just gonna go do other things right now. And whenever I feel like it, I'll circle back and praise him. David didn't put off a good thing, praising God, until he was in a good place. Because David knew that sometimes our feelings follow faithfulness. Sometimes our feelings follow faithfulness. So David doesn't do any of this. He doesn't pump himself up or beat himself down or or give himself a pass. No, 
he knew that none of that would work. In part because all of those things would turn his attention to himself. And the remedy for apathy in our relationship with God isn't to look at ourselves, but to look at God. To turn our eyes upon Jesus. And so David writes in verse two here, he says, praise the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all his benefits. What's causing David's apathy? He says it right there. Forgetfulness. And so what's the remedy? Remembering God's goodness. That's it. Remember how good God is. The reason David doesn't feel like praising God isn't because God isn't good enough or worthy enough or, or hasn't done enough. And it isn't because David isn't trying hard enough or he doesn't love God enough. No, David is feeling meh about God simply because he lost sight of how good God is. He forgot. So let's talk about forgetfulness. When I forget something, what ends up happening? When I forget something, I end up acting and feeling like that thing isn't true or didn't happen. Forgetfulness impacts our actions and emotions. For example, it's not uncommon for my wife to send me a text at some point during the day when I'm at work and say like, hey, on your way home, could you swing by the grocery and pick up milk and eggs and bananas? And I text back, thumbs up emoji. But then, you know, I get going on with other tasks and I, I'm doing things and, and, and then it slips out of my mind. I walk out the door, I get in the car and I drive home. I walk in the door, she's like, hey, do you have the milk and eggs? Ah, I forgot. And when I forget, I act like it didn't happen. I forget that Emily asked me to swing by the store on my way home. And then I act like she never did. Similarly, when I forget what God has done for me, I end up acting like he never did it in the first place. This plays out time and time again in the Bible. People forget and it completely changes how they respond to God. I'm not sure there's a better example than this, of this than what happens in the book of Numbers, chapter 13 and 14. Now rewind here in God's people, the Israelites. Before this, they were enslaved by Pharaoh in Egypt and God miraculously used Moses and 10 plagues to set them free. Then God's people come to the shore of the Red Sea and Pharaoh has a change of heart and he starts coming after them again. So they're stuck between a massive army and a massive sea with nowhere to run. They were doomed until God miraculously parted the sea so they could walk through on dry land across to safety. Then Pharaoh and his army tried to cross through on that same path and God said, uh-uh, and, and let the waves crash down on top of them. And God saved his people again. Then God miraculously led them through the desert with a cloud and with fire. And then God miraculously fed them, having bread fall from heaven every single morning. And then the people complained about the lack of variety in their diet. So God miraculously gave them meat to eat every evening. And then they were thirsty. So God provided water from, for them from a rock twice, over and over and over again. 
For years and years, God protected and provided for them. Finally, the Israelites in Numbers 13 get to the border of the land that God had promised to give them 400 years ago. They sent in spies to go scope it out, to see what it was like. Those spies came back, and you know what most of them said? They said, we have no shot. If we go in there, we are dead. We are absolutely dead. Those people in there, they're huge. Their cities are massive with big walls. And and if, if we go in there, we will be squashed like bugs. We are done for if we go in there. This is not good. And so what did the people do? The people, they came up with a plot to kill Moses, choose a new leader, and go back to slavery in Egypt. After all of that, God, after all that God had done for them, how could they act like this? How could they respond in this way? How could they doubt him and walk away from this amazing land that he had promised to give them? It's because they forgot The amazing things that God had done for them time and time again. And that's basically what God says in Numbers chapter 14. He says that those who saw the miraculous things that he had done for them, that they they should have known better. So forgetting not only changes how we act, but it has a massive impact on our emotions. So say you make plans to go to a movie with a friend and, and you know, it's a simple plan. They're going to pick you up at 6.30. You're going to go to 7 o'clock showing. Simple. It's 6.30, so you're ready. You're, you're you know, next to the front door. You're waiting for them to pull up. And they aren't there. Okay, whatever. They're a few minutes late. 6.45. Still not there. It's all right. You know what? Just miss some previews. Not a big deal. It'll be all right. 6.57. And they're still not there. 710. And they're still not there. How are you feeling right about then? Frustrated? Anxious? Starting to get a little angry? Maybe even worried that like something happened to them? Some combination of all those things? But then how would it change if suddenly you remembered that Oh, yeah, we changed our plans. We're going to the 930 showing. His his grandma had a birthday party dinner thing, and so he had to go to that. So we pushed it back to 930, not 7. All of a sudden, I go from feeling frustrated to feeling foolish. What we do or don't remember can have a huge impact on our emotions. The same thing happens when we forget stuff about God. Remember the Israelites as they're about to go into the promised land? They forgot how God had delivered them and saved them and led them and provided for them and protected them. And then what was their emotional response? It was anger. It was fear. It was despair. How would that have been different if they had remembered God's faithfulness to get them out of slavery in Egypt, if they had remembered God's faithfulness to deliver them at the Red Sea, if they had remembered God's faithfulness to provide them food and water and direction as they wandered through the desert. It totally changes our emotional response to God when we remember 
his goodness to us. And so in saying, forget not all his benefits, David is expressing confidence that if we stop to remember what God has done, it will move our emotions and change how we feel and lead us to praise God with all that is in us. Then David applies this remedy for his apathy. He starts reminding himself of how good and amazing God is. And you can feel as you read through this, David's apathy transform into enthusiasm. Psalm 103, starting at the end of verse two. Forget not all his benefits, who forgives all your sins and heals all your diseases, who redeems your life from the pit and crowns you with love and compassion who satisfies your desires with good things so that your youth is renewed like the eagles. The Lord works righteousness and justice for all the oppressed. He made known his ways to Moses, his deeds to the people of Israel. The Lord is compassionate and gracious. He's slow to anger, abounding in love. He will not always accuse, nor will he harbor his anger forever. He does not treat us as our sins deserve or repay us according to our iniquities. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his love for those who fear him. As far as the east is from the west, so far has he removed our transgressions from us. As a father has compassion on his children, so the Lord has compassion on those who fear him. For he knows how we were formed. He remembers that we are dust. The life of mortals is like grass. They flourish like a flower of the field. The wind blows over it and it is gone and its place remembers it no more. But from everlasting to everlasting, the Lord's love is with those who fear him and his righteousness with their children's children and those who keep his commandments and remember to obey his precepts. The Lord has established his throne in heaven and his kingdom rules over all. Starting in verse three here, David applies this remedy for his apathy, he starts reminding himself of the ways God has shown his goodness. And you can feel it start to work in his soul. David gets going and he starts to pick up momentum. And then it's like he can't stop. The benefits keep flooding to his mind and come pouring out. God is so merciful and so gracious, so patient, so faithful, so compassionate, so generous, so powerful. His love is so expansive. We can't begin to measure it. His goodness is so persistent that he works justice for the marginalized and the mistreated. His forgiveness is so complete that our sin is as far from us as the east is from the west. He is our compassionate father, our gentle creator, and our unrivaled king. I love this psalm. Hearing David go on and on and on about how good God is, stirring his heart to worship, it is awesome. But consider this. David wrote all of that a thousand years before Jesus was born. David knew that God had promised to send a savior, but he didn't know what that would look like. For us, we live on the other side of Jesus coming. We live on the other side of the cross. And, and so we have the benefit of seeing that what David describes here with more clarity, with more color, with more detail, with more beauty. Think about some of these things. In, in verse 7, David remembered, reminded himself of how amazing it is that God has, had made himself known to his people. Now David is saying this, having had Nothing more than probably just the first five books of the Bible. 
But God has given us a full 66 books, making himself known to us. But more than that, the book of Hebrews starts off by saying this. In the past, God spoke to our ancestors through the prophets at many times and in various ways. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son, Jesus who is the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of his being. God didn't just make himself known through words on a page. He made himself known through Jesus, through sending his son, coming to live with us and putting on full display what God is like, the exact representation of God's being as God himself. Beyond that, look at Psalm 103 verse 10. God does not treat us as our sins deserve or repay us according to our iniquities. You see, David understood that God was full of mercy and forgiveness. But for us, on this side of the cross, we can look back and see Jesus nailed to that tree. And I can know that I won't be treated as my sins deserve. And I won't be repaid according to my iniquities. Because Jesus was treated as my sins deserve. And Jesus paid the entire debt for my iniquities. He paid it all. Isaiah 53, 5 says, He was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our sins. The punishment that brought us peace was upon him. And by his wounds, we are healed. On this side of the cross, we get to see that Jesus didn't stay dead, but he rose from the tomb. On this side of the cross, we get to see that God sent his Holy Spirit to come and dwell with us, to lead us and guide us, to empower us, to gift us, and to remind us of all that God had taught through Jesus. I could go on and on, but the point is this. David stirred his heart to worship God by remembering God's goodness. And we can do the exact same thing, but with a clearer, more complete, more beautiful, more detailed picture. In addition to all of that, we each have our own stories of how God has shown up for us in incredible ways. You have your own stories of of how God has just done miraculous things. But for me, I need to remember how God provided for me and my family and led us after I lost my job several years ago. I need to remember how God so clearly blessed Emily and me with our three kids and how he comforted us through some really hard years in there. I can't let myself forget how God has put the right people in my life at the right time to say the right thing that I needed to hear to change my perspective and to recenter my eyes on him, to change my life. Let your story be fuel for your worship of God. Don't forget how he has shown up in your life and cared for you and led you and provided for you and protected you and saved you. Find ways of keeping God's goodness in front of you. I don't know, grab sticky notes or something and put them all over with, use verses from Psalm 103. Write them on there and plaster them around where you'll see them, in the car or in the kitchen or on the mirror. Grab a dry erase marker and on the bathroom mirror, write, forget not all his benefits. 
So every morning, waking up, reminding yourself, God, God is good. For one of my classes back in seminary, I had to keep basically a, a, a gratitude journal. Every single day for 15 weeks, I had to write down three things that I was thankful for. A period of time, it was like cell phone, keys, wallet, gratitude journal. A little notebook. Every day, writing down three things. No repeats allowed. Super simple, but it was a great way of daily reminding me how good God was. For me on Sunday mornings, I've started doing this. Is on my drive in, as I'm waking up, I turn on an audio Bible. I just tap on a psalm, somewhat randomly, just tap on a psalm and listen. And listen as I drive in. Letting God's word remind me of how great and good he is. Preparing my heart, stirring my heart to be able to worship with you guys. And the impact of remembering all this goes way beyond the time we spend singing together on a Sunday morning. Don't get me wrong, it definitely includes that. But when we remember what God has done in the world and and when we remember what God has done in our lives, it changes everything. It changes how we think about about and handle our our money and possessions. It changes how how much compassion and grace we have for other people. It changes how we handle ourselves at work or at school. And it changes the things we talk about, the things that we, that we care most about. And remembering how good God is deepens our trust in him. Even when we find ourselves facing challenges that we haven't seen before, we remember how God acted. And that can fuel us to be faithful in new circumstances. I mean, wasn't that what it was for the people of Israel? I mean, yeah, God like, got us out of slavery and, and he, he led us to the Red Sea and he provided for us, but like he hasn't given us a, like land yet. Like, I don't know if he can do that. No, no, no. God's saying like, look at all of the things that I've done. Trust me, you may not, this may be a new challenge, a new, a new obstacle, a new hardship in front of you. But I'm the same good God that's been with you all along. So remembering God's goodness helps us follow him faithfully and praise him passionately. Here in Psalm 103, David has been reminding himself of God's goodness in in so many different ways, trying to stir his heart to worship. And then when he comes to these last few verses, it almost seems as though he was more successful than he ever imagined he would be. He started off by saying, praise the Lord, O my soul. But then by verse 20, he says this, praise the Lord, you, his angels, you mighty ones who do his bidding, who obey his word. Praise the Lord, all his heavenly hosts, you servants who do his will. Praise the Lord, all his works everywhere in his dominion. David works himself up to the point where he wants everyone to join in praising God. Angels, heavenly hosts, servants of God. And just to make sure no one's left out. He throws in all his works everywhere in his dominion. And God's dominion, as it says in verse 19, is everywhere. So David says, praise the Lord, everything, everywhere, everywhere. That should cover it. All of creation, 
was intended to display and declare the glory of God. So David, with a heart full of renewed passion, invites and commands the universe to praise God. And David will not be left out. At the end, he circles back to the same thing he began with. Praise the Lord, O my soul. At first, it feels like David says that while feeling meh about praising God. But after looking at God's greatness, after calling all of creation to worship him, David's heart was on fire for God. And he wasn't going to let the praises of God be sung without his voice included. Man, I hope that is true of us. That we are always, always eager to join heaven in praising God. I hope that is true of us. But I also know that it isn't always. I know that there are times, seasons, months, years, where where sometimes we just feel dry. We've reminded of ourselves of these things of God and it just, it feels like it's, it's just not doing anything. We were on fire at one point in time for God. We remember that feeling and, and we miss that feeling. We want that back, but we aren't there now. You know, back in verse one, David wrote that he wanted to praise God with all that was within him, right? All that is within me. And we, we, we tend to think about that as our heart and our soul and our mind. But all that is within me is also my weakness. It's also my desires. You know, I came across this quote several years ago when I was in a spot where I was, I was like that. I just felt, uh, I, wanted, I wanted to feel more f- for God than I did. And this quote was so encouraging to me. Because it reminds me. It reminds me of how gracious God is even in those moments. Here's what it says. Worship isn't authentic only when you are red hot for God. It can mean that when you are not red hot, your heart feels a longing for the passion you once knew or want to know more of. That longing offered to God is also worship. Or it can mean remorse that even the longing is gone and you are scarcely able to feel anything but sadness that you don't feel what you should. That remorse Offered to God is also worship. It says that God, it says to God that He is the only hope for what you need. So don't have an all or nothing attitude about worship. The heart can be real, even if it is not as inflamed with passion as it ought to be, which is never in this life. The heart can be real even if it is not as inflamed with passion as it ought to be, which is never in this life. No matter how passionate I've ever been about pursuing God, no matter how much my affections have been set on him, how much I love him, it still falls short of what he's worthy of. 
It will always fall short of what he's worthy of until I am made perfect and in heaven with him. And yet God joyfully accepts our worship with all of its faults, with all of its flaws, with all of our brokenness. It makes me think of of when I was about nine or 10 years old, uh, my brother and my sister and I, like we decided to make my parents breakfast in bed for their anniversary. Now, we didn't know how long it took for things to cook. So we erred on the side of like it being done early. So we set our alarms for something like six in the morning. And we decided to scramble some eggs. Well, they were done cooking in like 15 minutes. They were like, shoot. We don't want to wake them up this early. What do we do now? So we decided to try to keep them hot, keep them warm by microwaving them. <laughs> over and over and over. We probably microwaved those things like a half dozen times over the next like hour till we finally felt like, okay, I think maybe we can go in and wake them up now. I mean, they, they, I don't know how, they were probably gross. You probably could have bounced them off the floor and they would hit the ceiling. Like, but we took them into my parents and they graciously smiled and found a way to choke them down. <laughs> My parents deserved a better breakfast on their anniversary. And yet they received what we had to offer with a smile on their face, knowing that we came to them with our best and with our love. It was not a great offering. And yet they received it with joy. Our God is the same way. Don't forget, he is our compassionate father. And so when we as his children come to him, bring him our best, whether inflamed with passion for him or dry and weary and broken, he receives it with joy and with a smile on his face. And he says to us, I love you too. That is our God. That is our God. Forget not all his benefits. God, we thank you. You are such a generous God. You have done so much more for us than we can ever imagine. We cannot begin to wrap our minds around how good you've been to us. And yet we forget And we wander and our hearts grow cold. And God, you still invite us back. Lord, continue to remind us. May we keep reminding ourselves of how good you are and where we would be if it weren't for you. We are so grateful for you. And we're so grateful that you receive our best even when really not that good. We love you. Help us to love you more. It's in Jesus' name that I pray. Amen.